Uh, today is the day that we celebrate the birthday of the United States. And so to kick it off, to kick us off on this holiday weekend, I have a trivia question for you. All right, y'all ready? All right, don't, if you know the answer, don't call it out, okay? Because not everybody knows this. All right, so here is my question to get us started. Who is credited with first coining the phrase, the United States of America? So who is credited with coining? that phrase for the first time. All right, I'm going to give you four guesses because we're playing trivia here. All right, so the first one is, the first one is, was it Thomas Jefferson? Was it Benjamin Franklin? Was it John Adams? And no text, I see somebody over there on your phone. Was it John Adams or was it John Hancock? Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, or John Hancock. All right, who is credited with coining the phrase the United States of America? All right, do we want to do a show of hands or y'all just want the answer? All right, let's do a show of hands. This will be fun. All right, all right, who all thinks that it was Thomas Jefferson? Raise your hand. Okay, nobody. All right, Benjamin Franklin. Who thinks it's Benjamin Franklin? Okay, I see some hands going up. All right, John Adams. Okay, got some hands going up. And John Hancock, who wrote his name very well. All right, we got some John Hancock. All right, so according to the Internet, which you know is always correct and always true, always factual, it was Thomas Jefferson who was credited with coining the phrase when he was writing the first draft of the Declaration of Independence. And then in the, in the final draft, uh, he tweaked it just a little bit. So at the top of the Declaration of Independence, it says the Declaration begins with this. Uh, there's the date, July the 4th, 1776, and it has the following statement, and if we could have it up here on the slide, it says the unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. Woohoo! That was the first time in the history of, of the world. And then on September the 9th, this is when it became official, like the name of our country, September the 9th, 1776, the Second Continental Congress officially adopted the title, the United States of America as the name of our country. So anyway, just a little bit of trivia. When you go to your, your barbecues and your family gatherings, you can just kind of whip that out, you know. So just, just helping you all out here with some conversation starters uh, as your family gatherings. Well, as we think about today, and we think about the United States of America and uh, kind of all of the liberties and the freedoms that have been fought and won for us as we celebrate the birthday of this great nation, one of the things that I am that I've kind of been thinking about and pondering about, and maybe you are feeling this way as well, is that it kind of seems right now that as a nation, um, that it doesn't feel like we're real united right now. Uh, it doesn't kind of seem like there is this spirit of unity. And I mean, I know that in the, you know, in the history of democracies and the history of the United States, um, there's always been times, I mean, obviously, when, uh, you know, we don't agree on every issue, but, but for some reason, it is kind of felt to me like the heat has just been turned up. Like there is kind of this um, almost a scorched, a scorched earth mentality uh, for those who aren't in the same camp as you're in. You know, you got progressives and traditionalists and liberals and conservatives and red and blue. And, and it kind of almost feels like there's been this pushing where, where we're kind of being pushed into these, you know, these far edges here. An example recently, and I hesitated to um, to share this one, but it was it, it was an example that I think kind of exemplifies what I'm talking about. 
there was a recent, and I'm going to try to be vague on my details because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus publicly, um, but there was um, a group of church members in a, in a congregation, and they were not happy with a decision that their denominational leader made. Now, I don't know all the details. I don't know all the background. I know some, but, but what they did, um, they weren't happy. They disagreed, and so what they chose to do was they chose to take out a full-page ad in the Sunday newspaper in a major city that this church was located in, this denominational leader was located in, and I'm not going to say the name of the city just to kind of protect everybody. But anyway, they took out a full-page ad listing like these 18 questions that they were demanding that this denominational leader address. I will say I felt like that the questions were a little inflammatory. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to say that. And when I, I read this, it just it grieved my spirit. It grieved my spirit. And, I, and the first thing I said was I thought, oh, those folks have a heart of war. Uh, they're, they're not seeking reconciliation. They're not seeking peace. They're not seeking a way forward. I mean, they, they, have, a, they have a heart of war. And, and I thought, you know, at, at, at best, um, it wasn't helpful to the conversation because here's the thing was they, they didn't sign their names. It was an anonymous group. It was a, well, they had a name for their group, but but it's but no one knows who these folks are. Like they wouldn't attach their names. I mean, at least the the founders of our nations, uh, you know, they had the they had the courage to sign their names to the Declaration of Independence. Uh, John Hancock apparently wrote his name so big because he wanted King George to be able to read it. But but they they didn't sign their names, and so it's like, how can we engage in a conversation if if you don't even tell us who you are? And the other thing that I felt was just kind of uh, that grieved me so much I thought you know it's Sunday morning there are people who are not Christ followers people who are not in church uh, people who maybe they grew up in the church and now for whatever reason they're you know it's just not important to them they're not sure that they believe anymore and there's a mama there's a grandmama there's a daddy praying for these these young adults and they picked up their phone and they were invited to be a part of a church spat. And I just, I don't know, to me, it, it kind of, it typified that, that, that heart of war that sometimes we have or we're feeling in this nation uh, with people who don't see eye to eye with us. So where do, we, where do we go from this? What do we do with this? As, as followers of Christ, we can't change everybody. We can't change the world, but we can be responsible for us. So our big idea, and I'm just going to give it to you right here, is a question, really. Um, and this is the question, and this is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, here's the question. When you disagree with somebody, maybe you're a Republican and they're a Democrat, maybe you're a Democrat and they're a Republican, you know, pick, pick your side, pick your battle. The question is, do you have a heart of war toward this other group, this other, you know, person, this other, you know, political group or whatever it is, or do you have a heart of peace? Not do you agree, not do you disagree, but as you think about that person, that group, that, that, that they personify, whatever it is, do you have a heart of war or do you have a heart of peace? In other words, when you think about this, can things like dehumanizing, uh, demonizing, and criticizing one another, can that really help us find solutions and bring us together in unity as our founding fathers had hoped in the United States of America. 
The Apostle Paul said it this way in a warning to the Galatians over 2,000 years ago, and he said, if you bite and devour each other, I would call that a heart of war, if you have a heart of war by your biting and your devouring one another, he says, watch out, watch out, or you will be destroyed by one another. I think it's a very solemn warning uh, to us, in our, whether it's in our marriage, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our church, in our community, but also as a nation. If we kind of adopt the spirit of the age where we're biting and devouring one another, we need to watch out because we're actually going to destroy each other when we are at war with one another. So today, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a couple of events in the life of Jesus where he models for us a different way. He shows us a, a different path and a way to um, how to kind of be agreeable, if you will, with those with whom you disagree, with those who disagree with you. So in your bulletins there, if you're here in person, we're going to be looking at Mark 6, 1 through 13, um, if you are following along online, we are in the message translation. And so what I want to do, where I want us to begin, is I want to read through this entire passage, and then we're going to um, just ask the Lord to speak to our hearts, and then I want to lift up a couple of things and just um, some takeaways um, from this passage. Um, but just to kind of set the stage, Mark, what Mark has done is there are these, these two events, and they seem unrelated. They don't seem like they're connected. But when you look at it, Mark has done a masterful job in this gospel of making a point. And so let's read along. I'm going to read through the whole thing for, because it just, and this is the message translation. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, and I just kind of like how he has um, just woven these words together. He, speaking of Jesus, he left there. Now, let me tell you where there is. I said I was going to read through the whole thing. I just cannot do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to know, where's the there? Where's the there? So what has happened in the preceding chapters is that Jesus has been uh, there in the Galilee area, and he has been healing the sick and preaching and casting out demons. And uh, you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how he calmed the storm and the waves. I mean, he is on a miracle roll, if you will. So he left there and he returned to his hometown. We know that's Nazareth. His disciples came along. On the Sabbath, he gave a lecture in the meeting place and he, he stole the show. He impressed everyone. And the people were saying, well, we had no idea he was this good. I mean, how did he get so wise all of a sudden? How did he get such ability? But in the very next breath, they were, they were cutting him down. And they said, well, he's just, he's just a carpenter, Mary's boy. We've known him since he was a kid. And, and we know his brothers, James and Justice and Jude and Simon and his sisters. I mean, who does he think he is? And they tripped over what little they knew about him. And they fell, sprawling. Wow. I mean, you heard the noise when they hit the ground and they sprawled. I mean, that was impressive. Thank you, tech team, for helping with those sound effects. And they never got any further. Jesus told them, 
A prophet has little honor in his hometown among his relatives. Okay, that's an important word right there. A little um, honor among his relatives. On the streets he played in as a child. And Jesus wasn't able to do much of anything there. He laid his hands on a few sick people. He healed them. That's all. He, he couldn't get over their stubbornness. Well, he left and he made a circuit of the other villages teaching. And then, here's the second story. Jesus called the twelve to him. And he sent them out in pairs. And he gave them authority and power to deal with all the evil oppression. And he sent them off with these instructions. Don't think that you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. And no luxury items. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcomed. If you're not welcomed. If people don't listen to you, if people don't agree with you, if people criticize you, if people aren't on the same page as you, if people are, you know, they don't, you're not on the, the different political party opinion or whatever, he said, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. And then they were on the road. And they preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing, and they taught, brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies and healing their spirits. May God speak to us from the reading of his word today. So just to kind of recap this, this passage, what's going on? Jesus goes to his hometown there in Nazareth. He's been, he's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. Um, and let's not forget who he is. I mean, we, we're seeing this Galilean ministry, but remember that in the Gospel of John, the way John begins his Gospel, he says that in the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us just for a moment pause and think here was the son of God eternal with the father fully God fully man and he is in the hometown of Nazareth that he grew up in and he's trying to proclaim the good news to them the kingdom of God he's trying to do good he's trying to heal their sick and cast out their demons and yet in this little Jewish community um, maybe four or five hundred people they stumble over who he is and they're, they're saying and it, here's the thing is they say you know well he's just he's just a carpenter he's just a carpenter or, or a stonemason um, he hasn't been to you know the, he's not a rabbi he's not a Pharisee he doesn't have any formal training and then there is a dig that we might not catch it because we don't think anything about it that really was offensive and they said you know what he's he's Mary's son now, in that Jewish community and in that, in that time, um, you, even if your father had passed away, it was, it was a patriarchal society, you would have always been identified by your father's name. So what they should have said was, this is Joseph's son. But when they said, we know this is Mary's son, we know 
that you're probably illegitimate. And Mary made up some big story about the Holy Spirit coming on her. Yeah, that's right. We know. We don't know who your daddy is. So in this moment, and it says that Jesus, how did he respond? Did he respond with a heart of war? Did he respond with a heart of peace? You know, I'm reminded of a story from the Old Testament, one that I completely do not get or understand. So I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. If you understand this, if you get this, send me an email, tell me after church. But it reminded me of a story in the Old Testament. There was a prophet, his name was Elisha. And a group of youth come up to him, and they are calling him a bald head. Like, hey, baldy, hey, baldy. <laughs> this prophet calls a curse on those boys, and two bears come out and maul them to death. Okay, so, so you know, that's all they did. They said, hey, you know, you're a bald head. I am sure there's some great theological, you know, something that I do not get. But anyway, that's a crazy story. So what, you know, how could Jesus have responded? You know, he could have said, hey, y'all are ridiculous. I am the son of God. I am God eternal. How dare you say I'm illegitimate? You know, God of creation is my father. But he didn't. He responded with quietness, and he just continues to do good. He doesn't take offense. But he still reaches out in love and compassion. He's still doing good to them. He's still seeing them as human beings, as individuals. But he realizes that he's not going to be able to change their opinion of him. So he moves on, and then he calls his, you know, his 12 together. He sends them out two by two, and then he prepares them for kind of the heart that he wants them to have when they are in a community, when they're in a town, and that individual, that group of people, they reject them. And he says, if you are not welcomed, if you are not listened to, then how? Go out with a bang? Go out with a scorched earth mentality? Get a full page ad in a major newspaper that probably cost over $10,000? No, he said, go quietly. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. It is the nature of the kingdom. He didn't get off mission. He didn't get off track by getting pulled aside into the, the latest you know, Twitter fight argument of the day. But he knew what his mission was. No, we're going to do good. We're going to continue to heal the sick. We're going to continue to heal, you know, cast out the devil, the demons. We're going to continue as I journey to the cross. Now, here's the thing I want to invite us to think about. You never know the impact that your spirit is going to have on others if you have this heart of peace instead of a heart of war. You know, yes, you might want to get in the last word. Yes, you might want to get in that final say. But it says there in the, in the passage, it said that among his relatives that he, um, he didn't have honor. Think about who his relatives are. One that probably the most famous relative of Jesus is his brother James, his brother James. And he's listed right here. He talks about his, his brothers, and, you know, so we know them, James and Justice and Jude and his sisters. But James is probably one of the most famous of Jesus' siblings. We read about James throughout the Gospels, and one of the things that we know is prior to the resurrection, 
James was not a believer. James didn't get it. James didn't understand who his brother was. I mean, you know, let's get it. It's, it could be hard. Um, he, didn't, he didn't believe yet. So I wonder, was he there? Did he see how Jesus responded when he was being rejected? Maybe James was one of the ones who was rejecting him. We know that after the resurrection that Jesus appeared to the disciples, but he also appeared to his brother, James. And as you follow the story of James through the book of Acts and into the New Testament, you see him mentioned over and over, and he becomes one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Most scholars believe that it was the brother of Jesus who actually wrote the book of James. So I want to invite us to listen to what James has to say about this very issue. James 3, 17 through 18, he writes, The wisdom, the wisdom from above, is first of all, it's pure. It's also peace-loving. And it's gentle at all times. And it's willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. I wonder where James learned about that. I wonder where he saw it modeled. I wonder if he maybe remembered if he was there that day when, when Jesus blew into town, you know, and then he got so much uh, rejection from the people that he had grown up with, the children he had played with, you know, the parents of, of the kids that maybe he had played t-ball with, if they had t-ball back then. And, and he says, but wisdom... Jesus, the way we're to live our lives, is, is to love peace, uh, to be gentle with those with whom you disagree, uh, be willing to yield to others. Maybe, maybe nobody, nobody believes, nobody agrees with you. That's okay. Uh, quietly be on your way. Don't make a scene. Uh, be full of mercy. Have the fruit of good deeds. And then he says that those who are peacemakers, those who have a heart of peace, they plant seeds of peace, and they reap a harvest of goodness. I think Jesus was planting seeds of peace in Nazareth that day. I think he invited his disciples to plant seeds of peace. And not everybody believed. We know that. And we know that in the end, Jesus was crucified, uh, that, that the, the Jewish leaders in Rome, uh, that, that it, you know, it led to that. But Jesus died on the cross. You know, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, we never know when we are those who are sowing seeds of peace. Um, we might not see the results today. We might not see the results tomorrow. We might not see the results the next week. But you never know what those, those, those gentle acts of kindness and mercy, the choice to, look, to move in peace with a heart of peace rather than a heart of, you know, kind of scorched earth, war, let's get out a full page ad, you know. No. Walk in peace, do good, and let's do what Jesus has called us to do. We never know how our lives, those decisions, might impact someone that we don't see the fruit of that, like James, until years later. You know, I think about that, and I just imagine, what would, it, what would it be like? How would our families be different? How would our communities be different? How would our nation be different? Is if, like, if everybody, everybody in the whole United States, oh, this is a Pollyanna idea, if, if we could just take 30 days and say, you know what, I just want to have a heart of peace towards my neighbor rather than a heart of war. 
I mean, what a transformation could occur. But that's unrealistic. But we do know that we can begin with us. And so I ask you today, as we think about, you know, this message and how Jesus modeled this for us, do you have a heart of peace or do you have a heart of war?